Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, you guys, welcome to today's episode of the Limitless Grid podcast. Super, super pumped to share a story of this incredible human being whose name is Susan Hogg. So Susan says she's a normal person. She has nothing crazy amazing about her, but I couldn't disagree more with her because she is an incredible human being who is not just a lawyer, but also the first woman to finish 100 Ironman distance triathlon. So if you don't know what that is, it is uh, 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles of bike, and 26.2 miles of running on the same race. In today's episode, she shares about her experience. She shares about what keeps her so optimistic because you will hear how joyful this woman is and what got her started into this races and as a woman i've learned that the only thing that's stopping me from achieving something great is my own mindset and susan talks about how a lot of women you know they're always in the group and they don't try to do something on their own and sometimes that could be something that would be hindering them so that was something i learned from this podcast i also learned how being optimistic could be such a benefit um, in my own life. And, you know, I'm training for a marathon as well. And after this podcast, what I did was I was having a positive mindset. Instead of looking at it as a race, I looked at it as a fun journey and an adventure. And, you know, I stopped being so hard on myself. So that has helped me with my training as well. And learned so much from Susan. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed creating it. And if you have any questions or suggestions, shoot me an email at limitlessgrid at gmail.com. Susan, welcome to the show. So excited to have you. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So for people who are not familiar with your work or what you have been doing, if you want to give us a little background. Oh, sure. Um, I was pretty much the non-athletic book reader <laughs> in school. And when I went off to Smith College in Northampton, I was, you know, everybody says, make sure you take advantage of everything your college has to offer because that's your chance to sort of experience life in a small microcosm. And so they did this thing up there that I had never heard about because I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, um, ended up in Jacksonville, Florida when my dad was transferred with his employer, the railroad. And so I headed off because it was a school that I thought you know, I knew I wanted a career in law. So I figured I would go to a very good Ivy League, you know, seven sister school. Mm -hmm. And then I would, of course, go into the most prestigious law schools around. And then I would become the most wonderful lawyer that the world had ever heard of. (laughs) So I show up at Smith and they've got this thing called crew. And I didn't even know what it was, but they said, you know, you row a boat. And I'm like, ooh, that sounds pretty (laughs) cool. So I immediately went out for the crew team. And needless to say, Having never crewed before and being pretty much of average height, um, I was too big to be a coxswain, which I really wouldn't have been good at anyway, but I was not as, as, as tall and strong as the girls were, the women that rode the boats. And so they kind of let me play for that short period of time where, you know, you kind of show that you're not really built for this type of sport. And then I was cut from the team. But one of the things they started us doing was we would have to run from the campus to the boathouse. And so that was that was probably about a mile. And I mean, literally, I'm not athletic. So, you know, you're young and you kind of fall back on youth. But I ran a couple of times and then I 
tried to play softball. And once again, you know, my, my ineptitude at sports, or at least group sports kind of showed and they kind of put me in that spot where no ball ever comes and, and let me, you know, warm the bench while, while we played the JV teams. And so when I went back to Florida after I graduated and before I ultimately went to Florida law school, I began running and, you know, I literally would wait till the dark of night and I would, you know, put on the, you know, mismatched boxer shorts and the old stretched out gross t-shirt mm-hmm. and I'd run around the neighborhood and, and then I don't remember how, but someone I think started talking about the MS-150, which was a bike ride where you would pretty much ride your bike 80 miles on Saturday to some destination and then turn around and ride your bike back. But the monies that you would raise would go to help folks find a cure for multiple sclerosis. So I don't remember exactly what tempted me with a bicycle, but I was dating a guy at the time that was bigger than I was, taller than I was, and he lent me his bike. So I get on my horribly oversized Schwinn traveler and started biking all over the place and told him that, you know, the two of us were going to go on this excursion. And so ultimately loved cycling and then, you know, finally bought my own bike that kind of fit me a little bit better. But then I go off to law school and I consider myself fairly fit and I'm at the gym and I see this poster that said they were doing a triathlon in the center of Florida in a lake. And I said, Ooh, you know, I can, I can bike and I can run and, ooh, well, you know, I can't, I mean, I know I could swim because I went to camp and I didn't drown, but I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not certain, you know, I could, I could really go anywhere, you know, so float to the end of the pool. So one of the kids in my law school class said, look, you know, we'll go to the apartment pool. We'll float around out there. You know, I fashioned myself an Olympian so I can teach you how to swim. And I said, fantastic. <laughs> so at the point, I think I must not have had my own bike or maybe my bike was up here, but I borrowed my roommate's boyfriend's bike and I, I wish I had photographs from back then because I bet I was hilarious. But, you know, because I, I know, you, you know you don't have the right clothes when you show up sometimes for these things. Because back then we didn't have the Internet, so you couldn't really Google, you know, what do I need to do if I show up at a triathlon? But I think I was probably the only woman that showed up and I managed to swim in the lake without drowning. And I rode the bike and admittedly, I flatted, I think, a mile, at least a mile out from the finish. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I just rode the flat in and then I got off and, you know, anybody, you can run or walk. And I ran or walked to the finish line. And I literally think because there was me as the only woman in the race, I won first prize and I was forever hooked. So that literally was, yes, the summer of 1990. And I was just talking to my mom earlier today, and I believe at the end of this year, I will be able to have shown, because I I like to keep lists and I like to keep journals and I keep track of all my miles, that I will be at at least 398 triathlons by the end of the year. Wow. Yeah. So that's how much I started and just, I don't think I raced all that. When I raced, I wasn't that competitive. I just enjoyed doing it. But I started out in law school. I kept at it when I got out with the local races. I mean, mostly, you know, just things that were in Jacksonville. And I'm very lucky in Florida because we could pretty much exercise outside all year round. And then, you know, slowly crept up. Well, you know, pretty much if you put it in front of me, I want to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you say, okay, Sure, you can do a sprint, but we've got this Olympic distance over here. And you're like, hmm, if I can swim a third of a mile, I'm pretty sure that I could doggy paddle a mile. 
And if I can bike five, you know, 10 miles, then I know I can go 25. And if I can run three, I know I can run six. And so I'd always want to get my money's worth and I would pick the longest distance. And so you kind of know where this is going. <laughs> so ultimately, I think I dated a different guy and he was an Ironman athlete. So, you know, he did the 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then the 26.2 mile run. And so I had that sort of in my sights, but admittedly, the distances seemed to me kind of far. And I wasn't sure that I ever could step up to the plate to do something like that. But I had swum as a team around Key West. So there were three of us that swam around an island and I picked the easier, you know, where the current assisted you, but it was still five miles. Mm -hmm. And then I had run a marathon the year before and thought, oh, that was pretty fun. And then I love to bike. So biking a hundred miles was no big deal to me because I just, I loved being like a little mm -hmm. adventurer out there on my bicycle. And so I said, well, shoot, you know, why don't I just do all three in one day if it doesn't kill me? So needless to say, when I switched jobs in May of 2002, my friends were headed off to Ironman Brazil and they said, look, you know, the race is two weeks out. You know, you got a little downtime before you start your new job. Why don't you come join us? And I was like, guys, you know, seriously, it was kind of <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, let, let's be all realistic here. And they said, no, no, why don't you do it? And I, I, you know, and I honestly wish that I had written my thought process down because I have a feeling it went something like this. Okay. So I literally drove to Miami, which is like a six hour journey in the, like from early morning so that I could arrive at the visa office when it opened, because when I had called, they said, you know, lady, there's no such thing as a two-day visa. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to have it. I got to have it. I bought my plane reservation. So I showed up, and I had jokingly said to the gentleman, I think, the day before, you know, because sometimes I open my mouth and things come out, and I don't always hear them. <laughs> but he had said, you know, seriously, ma'am, you know, it's not like we do this overnight. Because I said, you know, is there any way? Can you overnight it? What do I need to do? Can I have someone show up? You know, can I bring my money down? And he said, ma'am, you know, you can try and drive down here and stand in line. And, you know, I don't know what will happen, but that's the best you can do. And I, so I jokingly said, I think, something to the effect of, if you can help me get my visa tomorrow, you know, I'll have your first child or something completely goofy. <laughs> and he must have thought that was hilarious because the next day when I show up, and maybe it was the accent, when I waltz in, because I think I was first in line, the gentleman said, you know, we really don't do these same day. However, if you were to go and have lunch, you know, and come back in about six or so hours, there might be a visa. And I jokingly said, oh, you know, haha, I told some guy to have his baby. He goes, oh, yeah, that was me. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. Yeah. So you never know when a joke here or there can help, you know, grease the wheels. But he did get me a visa somehow. And I land, you know, I, I flew over there by myself and I didn't even know any better. I thought May in Brazil meant summertime. So I packed these teeny tiny little dresses and I get over there and they're like, no, this is the dark of winter. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm freezing. And I had to like wear every single item I brought. But these two guys claimed that they would help me figure it out. So I think the week before I flew to Brazil, I went to the club and swam in the pool like a mile every day. Cause I figured if you could swim a mile, you know, you can probably gut through another mile and a half, you know, and I, and I figured the bike would be easy for me. And I hit, I was not on a training plan at all, but 
you know, I do like biking and I guess I can endure some discomfort. And then the run, I figured I'd run as far as I could and then I'd walk as fast as I could till I had to crawl. But that I hoped, I mean, I really was worried about the whole 17 hour thing. And then I think it was only after I got there, they'd explained you had lesser times. You know, you have a certain time limit for the the swim, certain time limit for the bike and a certain time limit mm-hmm. for the, the run. I'm like, oh, shoot, I just thought if I was a really slow swimmer, I'd have to be a really fast cyclist and it all even out. But I think, too, the guys knew that I had no idea what I was doing. So they told me to put McDonald's hamburgers in my special needs bag. So we went over to McDonald's and purchased two burgers the night or the day before, you know, no Mm -hmm. mayonnaise and no cheese and stuck them with extra pickles in my little special needs bag. And they had told me to do a Red Bull. So I think I've done Red Bull, you know, a ton of times now. So at least, you know, at least this far, it gives me wings and it doesn't hurt my heart. And I think they told me to take some bouillon cubes and some gum and all this good stuff. But I literally had the time of my life and I showed up on the beach and there was a rainbow and I knew this was just where I was supposed to be. The the weather cooperated. The swim was beautiful. And at the time, I did not put my head in the water. So I swam 2.4 miles with my eyeballs up out of the water like a crocodile swinging my head back and forth. So I, you know, I basically dug a furrow into the back of my neck from the wetsuit. And if they let us wear a wetsuit, which I think they did, then I had borrowed it from a guy that I knew at the gym who was like (laughs) six foot five, who was very buff, but he was definitely bigger than I was. And so I think I carried it was sleeveless and I carried most of the water around. I look like swollen, you know, knee. What is that? polyethylene or whatever, the little, the little Michelin man, as I think I carried more of the ocean than I actually swam through. And the bike was fabulous. And I did learn that you cannot mouth breathe around a burger, that you literally have to stop because you have no saliva. And so I took a bite of the burger and I had to chomp and then breathe and then chomp a little and breathe. <laughs> so it was terrible, but it was very tasty. Wow. And then, yeah. And then I I don't know. I I assume the guys told me to do this, but I carried. And back in 2002, they had the little disposable camera, the little yellow one, Uh and it would have like 24 exposures in it. So I had this really sexy fanny pack on. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I was the only one in the race with a fanny pack. And I had put my little disposable camera in there. And my intent was to take a photograph, you know, for 24 miles of my run. And I think I got so excited. And plus, I think they lied. I think there were only like 18 exposures. But I took pictures of me jumping into the crowd and, and, and you know, loving all these Brazilian folks that had come out. I took pictures of like the swimmer, the biker and the runner painted on the ground. There was a kid on a horse. Somehow he ended up beside me. So I have a picture of him beside me on his horse. And, you know, he spoke Portuguese and I didn't. So we didn't communicate, but he must have thought I was awful goofy looking. Probably wondered what my fanny pack was all about. <laughs> <laughs> so then at some point, though, a child or a little boy on a bicycle came up beside me. And he, you know, they must have just thought we were nuts. And he rode along beside me. And at one point, he even took a photograph of me when I stood up, you know, near one of the statues. And we took a picture of the really steep hill you had to run up and down. And I took pictures of people that I had met when I saw them on the course. And so I quickly ran out of photos, but I finished. Yeah, I finished, had a spectacular time. I have never looked back. And in 14 and a half years, I did 100 of them. 
I, I just could not get enough. I mean, I've suffered a lot, but I just love the adventure of so, triathlon and Ironman. That's amazing. So it was just an accident that you fell in love with it. Exactly. Were there a lot of women in endurance sports when you started out? And are there a lot of women now? You know, the funny thing is, is I would say back in the day, there weren't. I mean, I really don't remember there being a lot of women, but at the same time, you know, it's interesting. And I don't know whether this makes a difference. I went to, you know, I went to a normal public school Mm -hmm. and then I went to an all women's college. And I sometimes think that when you went to an all women's college, you know, you didn't spend some of the day going, you know, how will I make myself look lovely? Or I wonder what Tom and Billy are doing or, hey, you know, they wear this cute skirt because I'd really like to, you know, get to know this gentleman better. And I think I would like to look nice and I would like to be, you know, go out on a date. But I, you know, I don't know if that has, you know, anything to do with it, but you just didn't think of those things and you pretty much just did what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And when the professor called on you, you never had a thought about, you know, if I raise my hand, will I look silly in front of someone that I would like to, you know, who I'd like to go on a date with, you know, and that may just be completely off kilter or or wrong. Mm -hmm. But I think that being surrounded by supportive, brilliant women where you just never gave it a thought, you just raised your hand, you looked comfortable, you studied hard, you wanted to know these things that that just gave you this self-confidence that you didn't look around to find, you know, where are the women that I want to associate with? Because I can walk into a room of of men and feel completely comfortable and feel like they should all treat me as an equal. Mm -hmm. And so back then, there probably were not as many women, but I loved, you know, I never felt I'm a woman and I shouldn't be here or I'm a woman and I'm uncomfortable. I mean, no one said anything to me that made me think that. So I never had anything like that. But I I think there were probably fewer women. And I know that if you go to a because it's different if you look at sprint triathlon, Mm -hmm. because I think there are more women equally doing a sprint as there aren't when you go to an Ironman event. And by Ironman, I simply say it that way because Ironman uses green caps for men and pink caps for women. So Mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting study because I do believe that when I go to an Ironman event, women only make up maybe a third of the field. And you can tell it quickly because you can go stand at a swim start and you can see how many caps are green and how many are pink and the pink are far fewer. Mm. And it's also funny because you kind of see the pink caps gravitate together. You know, we're not like equal, you know, it's almost like we look for other women Mm -hmm. or we tend to be more equal a swimmer. You know, there, I mean, obviously there are standouts, Mm -hmm. but you know, most women I know don't like to get clocked in the head and men are usually bigger than we are. And, you know, their stroke is some, I mean, I mean, I've been hit by a woman before, but you know, (laughs) men are very, very strong and I try to avoid their, you know, cause I get swum through, you know, if they put a, like if they put an Olympic swimmer behind me, I mean, one stroke of his arm could send me, you know, deep in the water when he follows through with the stroke. Yeah. So I, I do think that longer events, they're less, but I have to say that I also love to trail run and ultra run. And there aren't as many trail runs in Florida because we don't really have those great, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think of Colorado, I think of North Carolina, you know, places where there's mountains to climb and, and, you know, rocks to, to run around. And so I'm always 
envious of these other folks that live in these really adventurous <laughs> states. Right. And I think maybe there, there might be more women because yeah, I think they say, yeah, women are better endurance runners sometimes. I have heard that too. And it's so interesting when you said that you went to uh, all girls school and you didn't feel like you had to impress a man or impress someone else. So you were comfortable being yourself. And eventually that led you to form a habit of when you were in a room with like other men or other women, you were yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, and I do wonder about that. Yeah. I mean, um, I came from a really conservative family and uh, growing up, it was like, oh, men are better. You're supposed to do this and that. And I had to consciously rewire my thinking to feel comfortable and be myself. Mm -hmm. And I think when you grow up, um, like in that kind of environment, it affects you even when you're, you know, old. Yes. Oh, no, I, I fully agree with you. And, and, you know, because you really wonder, are some women, you know, because of course I just am very interested in women, mm -hmm. you know, are we just different because of who we are? You know, it's that whole nurture versus nature, mm -hmm. you know, or is it, you know, if, if you had grown up here and had the same upbringing that I had, would you be a different person? You know, would you have never have given a thought to, you know, becoming the president of the United States? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so one thing that one of the reasons that I really wanted to have this interview with you is when Jeff told me a story that he said that you told him that if you don't put yourself in a difficult situation, you're not going to see miracles or something similar mm -hmm. to that. <laughs> if you want to explain yes. that. Well, I, I mean, I, I think the the one thing that I like about the iron distance is to me, it is literally an adventure. I mean, and, and I was talking to some women because I, I like to, you know, now that I've done a bunch, I, I am more aware of my surroundings when I get there because I, I mean, even though I'm still a little apprehensive because it's a day that can unfold many different ways, mm -hmm. but I'm at least, I don't have to worry about what's in my bag or spend days. I mean, literally in 15 minutes, I can throw everything in bags and, and put them out there. And so I do look around and I like to find women who look a little uncomfortable, a little nervous, a little apprehensive, anxious, lonely, frightened, you know, whatever it is. And I sometimes sidle up beside them and say, you know, you're going to have a great day. Is there anything I can offer up. And I mean, I've even, women will come up to me. I usually, if I get to a race site ahead of time and I love these Facebook pages that allow you, you know, like all the Ironman Florida people go on and, you know, what's the water temp? Can I wear my wetsuit? What a jellyfish like? What do you put in your special <laughs> needs bag? You know, do you wear underwear with your bike shorts or hey, everybody show their bike, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. I say, Hey, you know, I've done a lot of these and believe me, if there's a mistake to be made, I've pretty much made it. You know, if you'd like to come and just hear my take on things, it may, you know, you could still have your own game plan, but I might be able to just always call it talking you off the ledge because I think that's kind of, well, I mean, it's sad, but I mean, it's kind of funny in the same vein. Mm -hmm. But I say, you know, I look at the edge of nervousness and if I could talk you down. And so some women will come and some have failed and they want to know how they can have a successful race or some are petrified of the swim. You know, and usually I say, you know, I'm not a coach. I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, kind of motivational, you know, because I don't really see what is inspirational about me because I'm average. I mean, you know, that's what I say. If I can do it, you can do it. 
And so I usually say, here are some swim tips that I use, you know, unless you're going out there to get a Kona slot. I mean, if you're out there to break the 10 hour mark, break the 11 hour mark, you know, break the 12 hour mark, I probably can't help you. You know, that's your coach's job to get you faster. But if you just want to have a day where you are as comfortable as you can be on the edge of your adventure, then, you know, let me show you some easy tips. And so I sometimes I think I can tell women, you know, if you don't need to win the swim, Mm -hmm. you know, hang back, let the faster, bigger people go. And then that way, when you get out there, you make your own little way in the water and just make sure you sight the buoys and you got caps in front of you to follow. And so because I think of an of it as an adventure, you know, sometimes I say things that, you know, I'm saying them and thinking them the exact same time. But I think I said something like, you know, unless you challenge yourself, unless you put yourself out there, that miracle that you just don't expect of yourself, it can't happen. And so I probably said it more or better than I just did. But I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. I never know how my adventure is going to unfold. I can only make so many plans. I mean, you know, wind is going to blow one way. You never know who you might bike alongside. Mm -hmm. You never know what kits you're going to see. You just, and and that's the cool thing. I mean, we are kind of insular in our life. I mean, we can meet a bunch of people more so than we could before Facebook came about, Mm -hmm. you know, with all the internet stuff, but pretty much people are amazing. And I mean, there's nothing special about me. I, I know I haven't suffered a hardship. I, you know, I, I, you know, God gave me all my perfect moving parts. And so there's nothing special about me accomplishing something. But, you know, my friend John Young is a dwarf. And for him, I mean, it took me forever to catch him in Ironman, Maryland. And he has a bicycle made for him that's clearly, you know, a fourth the size of mine. And he motors that thing like they're, you know, like nothing, I mean, nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. And we, and I mean, he's funny as all get out. And when we were on the course, we were making jokes when we would pass one another. And that's one of the greatest things. You got the bib that's got the name on it, but everybody's got a cool story. And these people are funny. I mean, some of them, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to get to know everybody, but a lot of the people I meet are so very special. And so when people ask me, you know, why do you keep doing it? I mean, clearly I know I can do an Ironman It's not the challenge of finishing so much, but it's almost the challenge of what will the adventure bring? Who will I meet? You know, whose day can I make better? And so I did a race like in Montremblant and I tried this. It's got this really long out and back on the bike and it was a fairly decent day. I mean, I don't recall the wind being a bear or anything and it wasn't real hilly, but I literally, because you're passing people, you know, you pretty much have nothing else to look at but the oncoming cyclists. And I literally smiled at every single person. And I'm telling you, all but about three, and there were tons, smiled back. And you know, even when you're grumpy mm-hmm. and somebody makes you smile, for that one instant, you feel better. I mean, I don't think there's anything special about me. It was just my face was the one that got to have the smile on it. And I noticed it even when I'm running, because a lot of times, you know, folks that that are really trying to get a Kona slot, I mean, their heads down, you know, to the wall going, Mm. they've given it all they've got. But when you get toward the back of the pack or you get to folks where they kind of win all they had and then now they kind of petered out and they're pooped on the side of the road. When you smile at someone, it's almost as if first It catches them off guard because they're not expecting in this parade of pain for somebody to be cheerful, I guess. 
And so I think that everybody looks, you know, like they always say, you look toward the light. You know, you look for something that will cheer you up. And hey, I've been in the pain cave and I've, you know, I don't want people yelling my name. So I'll tuck my bib in my pants because I don't want someone to go, you got this, Susan. Cause I'm like, I know I got this. It's just going to take me another four hours, you know, and you know, where you just don't want someone to interrupt your pity party. But for the most part, I mean, I like to walk along. I like to tell jokes. I mean, at Ironman Florida, people know me now and it's so fun because I stop for photos. I asked to hold someone's baby and they let me because they said Aww. their their child was already dirty. Because <laughs> I, I said, I don't want to sweat all over your baby. And she's like, oh, that's okay. They crawled all over. I'm like, well, maybe I don't want to hold your dirty baby. <laughs> but then, you know, I ate the hamburger. Um, some people had some fireball. So you always got to take a shot of the fireball. <laughs> um, you, yeah, you got all kinds of parties going on. I mean, folks will offer you alcohol and then they think it's hilarious when you drink it. Um, and I even had a race where foolishly I had only bike special needs food. I had no run special needs. And when I got there, I said, where are the special needs? The guy, and I might even have said, where's bike special needs, but the guy pointed me and it's a small race. So they didn't need to have a whole lot of boxes. Unbeknownst to me, when I said, where's bike special needs, it's right next to run special needs. And when I chucked my bike special needs bag in, I chucked it in the run area. So when I got out to the halfway point on the bike and I was suffering and I needed my insurer, I needed my Red Bull, you know, I wanted my safety food. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do you mean you don't have my bag? And I'm like, well, how could this have happened? And then I said, oh, my gosh, you know, what have people left? Because I am now a homeless beggar and I need whatever you've got left over. And the guy's like, and I mean, literally a man, I could not believe it, rolls in. And he goes, I've got this insurer I'm not going to drink. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me because that's exactly what I want. Wow. I mean, you know, who to thunk it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah, athletes, they're very friendly. So this girl's like, well, I got some socks. You want some? So I said, sure, I'll try the socks because I got hot spots on my feet. I'm like, I've never taken a pair of socks from somebody. It's a special needs on the bike. And I put them on and she's like, oh, sorry, they're mismatched. I'm like, oh, great. Now it'll look like I didn't pack right. So I had <laughs> one pink sock on and one white sock, but then I, I don't think it helped because then I had really hot spots. But, you know, it's still, you just, you never, you know, someone can help your day mm -hmm. and you can turn around and help someone else's. I mean, I love it when I'm walking. I've given people goo, like I've carried an extra goo and someone's goo. dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I've been dying. I'm like, hey, does anybody have a goo? And then someone's like, here, I'm not going to have mine. Or, you know, here, I brought some candy or here I have two of this. Or, yeah, folks, some kids will bring out candy. Some people will make their own water stop, which I love. I wanted to ask you a question. I, I truly yeah. think positivity is contagious and you yes. are such a positive person. Is this something that you wake up every day with or is it something that you think <laughs> no. you consciously <laughs> cultivate? Or if you do, how do you cultivate it? You know, I honestly, it's funny because I think if you, I, I tend to think of myself as a negative Nelly. No and it's way. one of those, yes. But, but I wonder if I do it like in my, I guess I am a lawyer and I'm a prosecutor by trade. And so as a prosecutor, you know, you kind of have to, even though you think, I know this man did it, but I have to prove it in a courtroom. So I need to look at the facts and, and sometimes you have gaps. And so I would send police officers, you know, back out, or I'd question them in a way to say, you know, we have to shut down all these other avenues because I know them not to be true, but I want to be able to prove it to the jury that the only avenue left is the avenue of guilt that, you know, he had to have done this. And so I think that makes me 
you know, pretty good at seeing both sides. I think lawyers are good. You know, you, you have to be an advocate. So I have to see the other side to make sure I completely advocate, you know, advocate, advocate mm-hmm. on, you know, whatever side I'm on. And I was I had like a nickname of Vince Dooley because I think Vince Dooley was a coach who, even though he might have had the best team ever, would always say, oh, I don't know how I'm going to win. Our offense is bad. You know, our defense could improve. You know, so you kind of mm-hmm. you never really talk about how strong your case is. You kind of just go, it's just not good enough. And you're always looking to better it. So I think I tend to see the negative in most things. And so honestly, that is interesting that when I am out there on the course, I do think that, you know, if I'm in a good place, I radiate positivity, Mm -hmm. you know, because I do, I do tell people they've got it. I try not to say you're almost there when you're not, (laughs) you know, but you know, you're at least farther than you were one minute ago. You're not thinking about yourself when you're there. You're like, how can I make their day better? Then that could be that could you might have just hit the nail on the head for most of the races you you know you were doing it for the charity or you're raising money that helped you to move forward when you wanted to give up uh yes, I mean, you know certainly it's easy when it's just you know well, heck, you know nowadays with the internet, you can't even do anything by yourself because everybody knows yeah, but yes, I mean, clearly, when I raised my hundredth race on behalf of Clara with the Children's Tumor Foundation. I mean, what I thought was so exciting was that they were there watching, but then yes, knowing that they're waiting and that you've got to, you know, you can't use up all your energy because you got to have a dance move, you know, and then you do your dance moves for them or hug the kids or take the posters and run in with the posters they've made you. So yes, I mean, obviously to me, and I think to anyone that has a heart, you know, Never in this world should a child not have a perfect life. Mm. And it is just devastating to me that any child, you know, I mean, I worked for a short time period with children and families here in Duval County, Florida. And obviously what we did was we terminated parental rights. And it's kind of hard to do that. But every now and again, you know, I'm sorry, just because, you know, you birthed a child doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you deserve to keep them if you do not turn your life around. So any child should just, every child, I should say, should have unconditional love and to have parents that are focused on them and giving them, like my parents did, the greatest upbringing they could have so that they have self-confidence, they have self-esteem, they have this idea that the world is theirs to have, Mm -hmm. that every day is an adventure. And so to me, you know, any child that's ill you know, any child that's not born in a parent's way of perfect, you know, it just breaks my heart. So, yes, I mean, obviously, any time that I can bring awareness to any cause for any child or, you know, and cancer touches everybody anymore. And cancer is just to me another devastating disease and multiple sclerosis. I mean, you know, almost anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yes, I mean, you know, you just want to keep raising money for them just to find these cures. It's beautiful. Well, thank uh, you. You've been so successful with your career, but what has been some of the rock bottom and, you know, what have you learned from that? I lost, you know, that my best friend in law school has passed away from, um, she had liver cancer. The best friend that I met one time, I went down to Claremont to race a triathlon and there was a girl standing in line and I think she was there to support her boyfriend because she had a cold. 
And we were probably joking, like, get out of the line because only athletes have to go to the bathroom. You can wait till we all get in the water. And she and I were the same type of personality, but she was 10, 15 years my junior. And we became the best of friends. And, you know, her husband did triathlon. And one time I went down to do the Great Floridian. And somehow, you know, you're packing 12 bags and you walk down the stairs and throw 11 of them in the car. And when you get to three hours later, her door where you're going to spend the night, Mm -hmm. you're like, hey, bring in that other bag. And they're like, there is no other bag. You're like, yes, there is because it's got all my tri gear in it. And they're like, there isn't one. And she literally, because her husband was a triathlete and he was not my size, she found me bike shoes. She found me pedals. She found, I wore her husband's, you know, outfit. I I mean, I had on a helmet that was too small, glasses that were too big. I mean, she outfitted me for everything. And literally the joke was there's a picture of me with my empty tri gear bags going, (laughs) you know, this is all Susan brought for her event. And I mean, shortly thereafter, she gets diagnosed with basically intestinal cancer. And year and a half later, she's gone. And, you know, I had married her and her husband on a beach. And then they asked me to do the scattering of the ashes ceremony before they reach their fifth year. Oh, yeah. And I mean, every time for a long time after that, when I would stand for the pledge of, I mean, for the singing of the national anthem, it was not a joyous occasion anymore. It was just this moment of sorrow that how could these people, you know, yeah, memory's great, but still, how could these people, these, you know, people younger than we are, disappear from our lives because she will never stand at another national anthem. The two of us will never goof off together. She won't run another marathon. I mean, it's just tragic. And and I think that part of that is you have no idea. You know, life is an adventure and sometimes it's a horrible, terrible one. And you don't know what the next day brings. And in one instant, someone can die tragically. And so you have to line up before that Ironman. And people say, why do you keep doing it? And it's like, well, you know, what else would I do? I mean, I I experience life in that moment and that day, and I meet people that if I weren't at this moment, at this time, and this day, I wouldn't have met these fantastic women. I wouldn't have met these fantastic men. I wouldn't have met Clara. I wouldn't have met her family. I wouldn't have met Janine. You know, I wouldn't have met so many people that my life is so enriched because of that. So even my lowest moment reminds me, you know, that, you know, life is just so fragile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I were sitting on a couch on a Saturday morning, drinking my coffee instead of towing the line at a triathlon, there'd be so much of this adventure that I wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'd be watching Hallmark mystery or Hallmark Christmas movies and crying. (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah. you tr- you want to find miracle in every single triathlon or mm-hmm. every single person you meet. I mean, I completely yep. agree with you. Um, I lost my parents. Uh, they were in their forties, and oh my, yeah. And you would think that oh, it's not going to happen to me, or my mm-hmm. mom is not going to have cancer, and before you know it, it does. And yep, you know, uh, that's why I want to live every single day to the fullest as well, because you really don't know. No, you do not. And I mean, I lost my father to cancer and it was unexpected. He was older. I mean, you know, but still it's like your Mm -hmm. life is moving on and, you know, you just don't think of things. And then all of a sudden you have a sentence and, you know, I knew my father wanted me to go out and do these things and he liked all of the different places I got to go. And, and so the, you know, the, the funny, but you know, it still hurts my heart. 
So dad would always, you know, if there was a penny on the ground, you know, you didn't walk away. Even if it was, you know, if it was tail side up, you still picked it up because it was a penny. And so what is astounding to me mm-hmm. is I look for ways that I know dad's with me. And so when I was at Ironman Florida, and I mean, we're in a freaking parking lot putting down our gear bags. And when I go to sit my bike bag down, what is right beside my bike bag but a penny? And I have done countless marathons and 10Ks and anything. And I'm running down the road. I mean, I literally was doing Ultraman Florida. And I mean, that's that three-day event. Great story there. I mean, you know, my mother and my, you know, well, you're supposed to have crew. And I go around, you know, and I'm thinking I'm God's gift to the athletic world that I've got all these athletic (laughs) friends and everybody wants to help. And you go, okay, people, I need a crew. And everybody's like, oh no, that's Disney weekend. And that, or it was like, Gasparilla weekend. It was Disney weekend. It was the local Donna marathon weekend and everybody else has got all their run. I'm like, dang you athletes. You're so selfish. I need help. So I turned to my mother and my sister and I said, guys, I've done this a time or two, at least the run, bike, swim thing. And although it's this three day event and I need a car and it's got to follow me and you got to strap my name on the car and, you know, have some food for me and a couple Red Bulls, you know, I want your all's you know, I want you to be as least necessary. I want to burden you the least that I possibly can. And I'm telling you, that was one of the most special. I mean, mom and Shay might not think that, but that was, you know, yes, that was one of the most wondrous, special, just amazing days. Because I mean, yes, it was kind of this, this, the, the light shone on me because I was the athlete and here was my crew and the, you know, but I mean, on, you know, on the day we bike 170 miles, you know, I'm, I'm stopped at a stoplight and literally I look down and right there by my shoe is a penny. And it's just like, you know, these are the oddest places, but I always, yep. And I always know it's dad or the dragonflies with the double wings, you know, that someone's there, the spirit is there. And I reach down and pick it up and keep all the pennies that I know are dad's way of saying, you know, you're still a nutter, you're still out there, but I'm there with you. And then, so on the run day, it was so funny because I, I, I wanted my crew, my mom and my sister, not to have to get up early because they were taking great care of me. You know, I'd be like, oh, woe is me. I need some Chinese food. I don't want to go get it. Can y'all go get takeout Chinese? <laughs> and I'm just going to lay in bed. <laughs> Could y'all come back and fan me and feed me the noodles? But I had said, listen, you know, you guys sleep in, you know, enjoy the hotel breakfast. You know, I'm, I'm running 50 miles today. It's I've done, you know, I've run that far before. I don't, you know, I'm kind of a de minimis runner. You know, I don't need a car to run alongside me. I'm out with people. You know, I'm not nervous. I'm not afraid. You know, it's a beautiful morning. You, you know, y'all catch up to me in two hours. I mean, heck, I'll only be eight, eight miles down the road. So, you know, enjoy your lunch or breakfast. And so I show up at the start. And I've got the camel back on and I'd literally put like four goos in there and I'd mixed up my, you know, nutrition. So I had ample calories. And so people are like, well, where's your crew? And I'm like, well, you know, they're eating breakfast. They'll be with me in a minute. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, here, you you know, we'll ride alongside you. We'll do this. We'll do that. I'm like, no, no, no. Guys, how many of us go out for a 10 mile run all by ourselves? It's That's all I'm doing. I got my goos. I got my drink. I'm not going to get lost. I'm good, you know, and I thought it was kind of funny because, you know, I'm trying to give my crew a break and then I'm taking, you know, heat like I've been abandoned. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm fine. You know, and then I think mom and Shay, they were all worried, you know, and they ended up not, you know, taking it like they didn't eat. 
mm-hmm. and they were rushing around trying to put all my dirty stuff in the car. So, but that was that was, Ultraman was an amazing experience, and I would do it again. But I was I kind of something I was going to say earlier is, you know, maybe back in the day, maybe ten years ago, I might have been on the cusp of something with these multiple Ironmans a year. I mean, in 2012, I did 18 of them. You know, and there are people that are one and done. There are people that are one a year. There are people that are one every other year. But, you know, I I recognize that I don't have children. I'm not married. I don't have a dog and I don't have a plant. So there isn't much I can harm, you know, and I'm able to drop things, you know, when I can get off from work and go and my disposable income is mine. Mm -hmm. But what I do notice is now that Ironman has come up with this legacy program, you know, where they say if you raised 12 Ironmen, you have a slot at going to Kona that that it's encouraged people. And so now I'm not as rare as I used to be. I mean, you find people that are doing three a year. Mm -hmm. You find people that say, oh, well, you know, I was fit for this Ironman, but I DNF. Do you think I should try one in a week? And you're like, well, of course, you know, because you're fit. Yeah. What's the most you've done in a year? The 18. Wow. 18 in a year? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And that was the same year I did Kona when I got a legacy spot. I'm like, well, I can't believe I can't really lay it all out of Kona because the week after Kona, I got beached a battleship and I like that race better. <laughs> it's easier. Do so you, hmm? do you think it would have been um, you would have done half of what you have done if you had family or do you think it's really hard to do it with a family? Oh, I would guess that it's well, I would guess, number one, it is really hard to do it with a family because, I mean, you know, like I kind of said earlier, I really think that when you have children, Mm. you know, kids deserve the world. I mean, they really do. I mean, you know, my my brother has children and I I can be around them for five minutes and they wear me out. I've never seen so much energy (laughs) in all my life. You know, so, I mean, a, a, a mother and or a very involved father, you know, whoever parents. I mean, I can't imagine doing it as a as one parent. I mean, if you're a single parent, either men or female, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, it just takes so much of your time. And if you have to work, if you have to plan meals, if you have to take those children because they deserve to play sports, they deserve to be in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, you know, they deserve to have sleepovers. So I I applaud women you know, because I see it more from the woman's side, you know, who get up at 4 a.m. in the morning because they have to ride their bike for an hour. And so that's another reason. I mean, I really do feel like of the continuum, I'm healthy. You know, I am able to afford the Mm -hmm. racing and, you know, I'm able to do it with the body that I've been given. And so there are others that, that yes, they're raising a family. So for them to spend the money, because that's what people say, you know, can you imagine how much money you've spent? I'm like, well, yeah, but I mean, I don't need to have my nails done. Mm -hmm. I don't have a bunch of shoes. Luckily, I'm not someone that likes to go out to a bar or fancy dinners every night. So my disposable income, I can afford it. But I, you know, but you do have those people out there that say, you know, $600 is, or the the price of a bike, you know, those things, if you do it, you're taking it out of what you might spend on your children. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have put away for a family vacation, you know, the husband. So like, especially if you've got a, you know, the spousal unit that both want to race, they kind of have to trade off, you know, as to who watches the children, if the kids are young, you know, who can go out and like when they, when they compete, who watches the child? I mean, because sometimes I know people that both want to do a race and obviously running races are a little easier because maybe they're done faster, especially a 5k. But I've seen a couple of people post, 
you know, if I bring my child, can someone watch her while I run the 5K? Oh, wow. You know, yeah. So, you know, to me, everybody, you know, we all, you know, they always say, can you have it all? And I'm like, well, you can have it all if your all is defined mm-hmm. <laughs> more strictly. I mean, you know, I just don't know how you, you know, you couldn't, I don't think, race like I do and have a family unless I had a, you know, wonderfully supportive spouse who, mm-hmm. you know, was a house husband and, you know, wanted to take complete control of all the children. I, I interviewed this guy who wrote this book, One Thing. It's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal uh, bestseller. It's a really good book. And he said, there is no thing called balance. Magic mm. happens in extreme. And I think it's so true. Um, I think in our culture, we say balance, balance, balance. But you really want to do something well, there can't be balance. True. What do they say? You can be marginal at everything or spectacular at one thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, has your, I mean, you talk about miracles, like how has your faith helped you or, um, do you Um, have a faith that helps you every single day? Well, I mean, you know, my mom and my sister would say that they really would, you know, think that I would go to church a lot more often. I mean, I do believe in God. I do believe, you know, our souls. I I certainly believe in miracles. Mm. I mean, you know, to me, it's just we always say, like, what a small world we live in. Well, it's not really small. It's just a miracle. I mean, it was like a miracle that I was standing a great Floridian with, you know, more than 2000 athletes. And when the um, the national anthem started playing, this woman sidled up beside me and kind of gave me a squeeze. And I said, oh, hey, how are you doing? And she said, I cannot believe in this sea of people, I found you just like I found you at Great Floridian last year. And I kind of held on to her and she looked kind of emotional. So we just sort of hugged almost through the entire national anthem. And I mean, I think that we are in certain places for people to find us. Um, I mean, I know oftentimes, I mean, I do go through low moments. You know, you're out there, you're in this beautiful, you know, area you're you know you might be looking at mountains you might be looking at the ocean and then you know what will dawn on me is that all these people that I no longer have in my life aren't experiencing this and Mm. it's this huge hole in your heart and I tell people if you feel so moved to cry cry I mean you know go with the emotion but I mean yes I, I you know I have often you know thanked God at various junctures because in one moment of me not paying attention, I've almost lost, you know, lo- you know, let my bike go off the road. I have gone off the road once. I don't even know what I was doing. I wasn't paying attention clearly. And I managed to bring the bike back up on the road. And that could have been a tragedy. I mean, I know people have stopped in front of me and I've whipped out to the left, never looking wow. to see if there was a car coming. And I mean, to me, that is not coincidence. That is a miracle. Mm-hmm. And someone is looking out for me. And I think that because I have my health, you know, I thank God every day. And I know people who exercise like to say, God knows what conversations we have, you know, and God knows that even though I'm not within the four walls of a church, I am in God's beauty when I'm out here in the morning, you know, because it doesn't escape me that, you know, for me, but for God, you know, this all wouldn't be here. And I mean, just to give you another, you know, little teeny story that kind of, I mean, was sad, but it kind of gave me shivers. When I was up for my college reunion in Massachusetts, um, I think it was like my fifth reunion. So, I mean, many years ago, because I graduated in 88 
And yeah. And so my friends had a home near Martha's Vineyard, like on the Cape. And they said, hey, we're doing a a weekend. You know, why don't you extend your stay? Come with us. And I said, certainly. And because I love to participate in some sort of athletic endeavor almost every weekend, I mean, literally, I do something almost every weekend. And a lot of it is, you know, local. I mean, if there's like, you know, a local 5k, 10k, that's, you know, that's to me an athletic weekend or a long bike ride, an organized ride that benefits the Kiwanis, benefits a church, you know, whatever. And so I had gone to do this race. And of course I thought my friends would come and how neat it would be. Cause I would often, you know, go to races by myself because I'm a single person and I thought it'd be so fabulous to have a little built-in fan club. And everybody's like, no, no, you go ahead and have fun. We'll, we'll be here sleeping in. I'm like, geez, people. So I go to this and it was, the, it was like the, it was something Kelly road race. And it was on the Cape. It was right near Martha's Vineyard, but on the, the main drag. And I got there and, you know, of course I'm all alone, but the one good thing is I'm that person that talks to anybody in an elevator. Mm-hmm. And so when I was, standing around. I just kind of made a conversation with whomever. And when um, we got started running, you know, I'm listening to the conversations around me. And I, I kind of think one of the Kennedys, like one of the family must have been running. And there was a police officer that I ultimately figured out he was a police officer based on the conversation. And as we sort of separated a little bit, the policeman was closer to me. And I said, hey, you know, are you a policeman? I'm a prosecutor in my hometown. And we got to talking and I said, you know, police officers usually know their way around the town. I'd love a delicious lobster roll. Like that's my most favorite thing. Could you suggest a place for me to go? (laughs) And, and then I jokingly said, and you know, you're probably good for donuts too. forgive me, but where can one get a good donut? He got a (laughs) chuckle. And so while we're running, um, he was doing the shorter race and I said, okay, see ya. And I head off into the sunset. And of course, when I finished the race, I assumed that maybe the policeman might be there waiting or, you know, I'd have someone to talk to. And I was kind of looking forward to, cause there is nothing better than crossing a finish line and, you know, sharing fellowship with all your athletes and everybody's talking about how they could have done better or they did great or the things they saw or who they met or the mm-hmm. funny things. And so I kind of stop and look around and there's nobody. And I'm like, well, dang, you know, I'm just going to have to make do with myself. So I grab my after race hot dog and my soda and I sit down and I enjoy it. And then I go to find my car. And I remember that while I had been running, I had said that I had no idea where I was to park because it was near the vineyard ferry. You know, everything was, you know, park at your own risk. You'll be ticketed because they wanted people to pay for the ferry. So I said, oh my gosh, I've come here to do this run. They're probably going to, you know, I probably parked somewhere I shouldn't have because I think I parked in what looked like a construction area because I figured no one was parking there because I had all this construction equipment. But now that I think about it, I told the cop where I parked, what if he's totally law and order and he goes and finds my car and it's my friend's car that she let me borrow that's new and they tow it. Good heavens, uh, you know, that'll be a total outlay of money and this will just turn this day into a debacle. So I start walking like really fast you know, toward where the car is parked fearing I'm going to find no car. And when I come upon it, I see that on the windshield, because I'm wondering if there's a ticket, there's like this little baggie and it's got a knot tied in it. And I said, man, if somebody put some dog poo in a bag on the car, (laughs) you know, to let me know that I should not have parked here, I'm going to be really mad. Well, when I get up there, so help me. It's like this 
donut in a baggie and the cop had left. Yeah. The cop had left a note that just said, I had to rush off to work here. I brought you a donut from one of our famous donut shops. You know, give me a call and I'd love to show you, you know, the scenes if you, you know, whatever. So ultimately, my friend Britt and I, you know, met him for a drink and, you know, we got to know a little bit more about him, that he had a son that had been fighting and, you know, was fighting in the military, we're in the forces, and that he had helped organize in honor of his son, some sort of like a toy drive or some sort of drive to send supplies to the soldiers. Wow. And his last, yeah, and his last name was very, I can't think of it for the moment, but I know I've got it written somewhere because then subsequent to meeting him, you know, we exchanged emails. He showed me pictures of his whole family. I mean, obviously a very happy man, very proud of his family. And and so he would send me email updates and I would get the occasional email that said, you know, my the, the toy drive or the drive to bring supplies to, you know, we'll get them sent off, you know, to my son's um, regiment or whatever they call it. And so fast forward about, I mean, it had to be 10, 15 years. And it was uh, the year that the hurricane kind of came through D.C. and I was running one of my favorite marathons, which is the Marine Corps Marathon. Mm -hmm. And the weather, it was like Hurricane Sandy or something. It was like the worst weather conditions and it was just frigid outside. And so every year since that I've run it, it's been very emotional because people, of course, have shirts on and it just tears me up when they have shirts of their loved ones that have either had a disease, you know, or been killed in combat or just some tragedy has befallen them or folks that, that are ill that they're running on behalf of. But I come upon these women that are walking in front of me and their shirts on the back say, in honor of Stephen, and the last name was like X-I-A. R-O-S or something like that. And that was the name of the cop. Yes. Oh, wow. That was his son that had been killed in combat. Oh, my Can God. you believe that? So chills. I walked. Yeah. I walked up to these women and because I, I was behind them and I said, ladies, I go, I have a very strange question for you, but I ran a race way back in the day, some like in Truri or somewhere on the Cape. And I met the father who was a cop who had the same last name, who had a son who was fighting in the military that he was so proud of. I mean, so proud of. Please tell me that the names are just a coincidence. And these ladies went, no, actually, we know the dad. We're from there. And yes, his son was killed in combat. And we're Mark, you know, we're, oh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. And I mean, if you don't think that's a, I mean, first off, it's just a tragedy. But I mean, if it's not a miracle that in my lowest moment, you know, I mean, clearly, and and so immediately when I got back and I could get to my email, I sent him a letter, an email, and I just said, you know, you're not going to believe this. You know, you've been in my thoughts occasionally, you know, and I just wanted to let you know, I've always thought of your son in the most glowing of terms, never met the man, but if this, I am so very sorry. And he wrote back and said, you know, thanks. But I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. crazy. So yeah. Small world. <laughs> small world. Yeah. Miracle. Ew. I mean, not that it, you know, not that it had a great, you know, ending, but it was still, it's just crazy the way we're all interconnected. Yeah, I mean, small word, right? Coincidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think coincidence are coincidence. I think it's no. It's just 
meant to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it just kind of brings everything full circle. Yeah, I mean, I've had some situations where it's the randomest thing, but when I look back, like, four years, five years, and <laughs> those are the moments that have defined me. Mm-hmm. And even this podcast, like, it was just a random thing that I decided to do, but it was, like, a coincidence at that time. Mm-hmm. And look at the amazing people that you've met, me included. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it, like, Jeff, I didn't even know about you, and Jeff mentioned, and I did your research on you, and I'm like, wow, like, how did, how did I not know about her? And mm-hmm. coincidence, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's funny, you know, because I only met Jeff, I think, one time. And then it was just coincidence that we ended up at another Ironman because he pretty much only does the new ones. I, te- I keep trying to convince him to come and do a different one, but he's a dud. He's such <laughs> an interesting man. He is so yes. interesting. Mm-hmm. He has a great story, too. Um, I mean, you've been through a lot. How do you keep your faith or what do you do to, you know, keep believing and moving forward when you're going through a hard time? Well, I mean, you know, it, it's funny. So I've never married. And one time I made this statement and I kind of think it to be true. And that is, first off, I credit my mother and father for the way in which they've raised me and the way that they continue to raise me because I've only ever known unconditional love. And wow. I've only ever known two people that, you know, we didn't have a lot but it was always their goal that all three of us, my brother, sister, and I go to college. It was their dream that whatever, you know, the world was our oyster and that they would do whatever they could to allow us to reap the benefits of whatever our heart desired. And so, you know, I used to always say, you know, I mean, the fact that I would be single and I mean, I'd never said I didn't want to have children. I certainly never said I didn't want to marry, but I just always wondered, I mean, I've dated men for very long periods of time and yet it just never culminated in marriage. And then you can turn around and in the short period I've known somebody, they've married and divorced three times. And I'm like, you know, how is it Mm -hmm. that some women can just find life partners, even though maybe they're ultimately a wrong choice, but I mean, how can they just, you know, marry, meet and marry so Mm -hmm. many people when I can't even find the one that I want to marry. I mean, it's not even as if I've been engaged. It's not like I wanted to marry a man. He didn't want to marry me. I mean, it's just never been right. And one of the, one time I was thinking and I said, you know, the one thing that I am, that I kind of look at as an extension of faith is that, you know, my parents brought me up. We went to church, you know, baptized. I, I did the responsive reading at church and I was active in the church. And it's just this, this, it's just sort of it, it becomes just what you expected. I mean, I know that sounds weird, but it's just expected. And that is anytime I need something. I mean, it's not like if I say, hey, mom, I need a thousand dollars. Can mm-hmm. I borrow it? But I mean, you know, anywhere that you are, if you have something that's troubling you, I pretty much could always count on my parents or my brother and sister that if I call they show up in, 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 and I do the same for them. I mean, if, you know, if the phone mm-hmm. rings, you answer it, you know, you may not be happy about something. But I mean, you know, we are always there for one another. And I think because of that, and we, and believe me, I am devastated that I lost my father because, you know, I thought the man would live forever. And it has, it has 
you know, caught me by surprise. And I think five, six years later, I'm still reeling and I'm still trying to come to terms with it. But all in all, you know, we've not had a terrible tragedy befall the family, but for my father's death. And I mean, you know, I just always have a unit that I can come to at any, you know, they're always behind me. Mm -hmm. They, you know, when I start to get a big head or, you know, I start to get a little uppity or I start to have an attitude, you know, you've got people that love you that kind of say, let's think about this, you know, let, let's mm-hmm. look at what we're doing, you know, stop for a moment. So you've got that voice of reason. You've got someone that is always in your corner that even when, you know, you're about not to make the best decision, you know, someone can say, let's just stop for a moment. Let's look at all the plus and minuses. My sister, I always think of her as the better sister. You know, she just looks at things in a way that I'm sort of, you know, I have, I have a, what do you call it? A short fuse. I mean, I get agitated and, you know, like I want things to go a certain way and I have zero patience. I'm and, similar. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so my sister is like the pay has the patience of Job and she's just so good and always has the energy to do. I mean, you know, we were in Ironman Louisville and I like to have Dunkin' Donuts coffee before I head off and do the race. <laughs> and Shay was officiating. And so we had finished the official meeting. I had put my bike and bags in. I mean, she's been working, you know, she's tired. And I say, oh, yeah, I probably should get some Dunkin' coffee before we go home so I can just nuke it in the morning and have it. And she said, "Okay, well, let's put it in. You know, most people would say, Susan, look, why don't you take me home? That way I can relax and then you go find your coffee. But it's like, "Okay, let's put it in. So, of course, we go to the first location and, you know, if it ever existed, it wasn't there anymore. Then we key in another one and we drive like seven miles, 15 traffic lights. We arrive. It's a gas station. And I mean, literally, we're on our third one. We're getting ready to call my aunt to go. Do you have any freaking Dunkin' Donuts in all of this forsaken town? And she's like, oh, well, they're in like gas stations now. And I'm like, no, that's fine. I can take Dunkin' out of a gas station. So then we go up to the next gas station. They're like, no, we do not have Dunkin' Donuts. We have our own coffee. I'm like, no, I have to have Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) So, but I mean, still, my sister, Patience of Job. Is out in the, you know, and then as we're driving by, we see a sign and she'd never seen like a for sale sign. And at the top of the house sign for sale said too cute. And my sister said, oh, that's hilarious. I've never seen a for sale sign in someone's yard with the too cute here. Let's stop and get a picture. And it's like, you know, yeah, I mean, just just the most. So I am literally I am an ogre and I have 10,000 bad faults or, you know, but I am surrounded by the most amazing family group of friends and the people that I meet. And I think that that keeps, you know, my faith stays alive because, you know, at least I have as of yet, but for my father's death, you know, not experienced some horrible tragedy where, you know, the house floats away. I mean, I remember a coworker one day came back and she said, you know, or I think maybe she didn't even come back and someone said, you know, she's going to be out for a while. And the story was that her mom and dad were getting ready to celebrate like their 50th anniversary. And they lived in like a community that had all these mountain passes and they, their uncle was driving the car and her parents were in the car. And when he came down, yeah, oh, it's, it just, it just upsets me so much but that when he came down, he just misjudged and pulled out in front of a car 
that T-boned their car, killing both of her parents before their 50th anniversary. And I mean, I have carried her like that little bit of her pain for one of those stories that, you know, every once in a while you just sort of read about it and you think, I don't know that I could bounce back from that. You know, I don't know. Right. And so for people, and I know several friends via Facebook, I mean, I'm friends with them, but I followed the story via Facebook when their mother has gotten breast cancer, you know, their mother has Alzheimer's, the father has Alzheimer's and they talk about it. And you just know that those people have such a sadness in their heart and it just tears me up because Mm -hmm. I, you know, to me, it's got to shake your faith. I mean, it's got to shake your faith when a child you know, is killed, you know, by some, I mean, like this church shooting. I mean, oh, things that just shouldn't happen. God. That was yeah, just heartbreaking. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I. I was looking yeah. at the pictures and I just, I started tearing up. Mm-hmm. Well, I was tearing up about, what was it? I think recently, oh, the man who plowed his car into all those cyclists in. Oh, was, New York was, City. I'm in New right. York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when, yeah, and when they showed the, because I think one of the stories was a group of like five, five guys yep. that, have, yeah, that have been like best friends from Argentina. since college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, and the man that died had organized this trip and had even paid for some of the guys who must not have had the monies available to make the trip. And it's just like, sometimes you read a story that is just so poignant. You just say, of all the people in this world, why does it? happen you know that age-old question of you know if there is a god why would he allow this happen and so that is a question i cannot answer but nonetheless you know it's one of those things where i think your faith is just instilled in you from very early on and i think that for me it's a comfort i mean it's a comfort for me to know there is a god to know that at the end of the day there's this ultimate purpose and to know that my father is up in heaven and when I see a rainbow, it's, you know, hmm. him reminding me. And to know that sometimes when you're in your lowest point, you don't have to depend on yourself. You can just surrender and let God take care of it or your parents or for you, your father take care of it. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yep, yeah. exactly. Um, so that way that, you know, even when we're low, we're not at the absolute lowest because to be at the absolute lowest, you don't think you have anyone and you have no outlet But at least, you know, where we are, we can just say, okay. And that's what, you know, I remember when I went ready, when I was ready to go off to Smith College, there was a silly quote from Mark Twain, I think it was. And it was like, if you don't like the weather in New England, wait a minute. You know, and it was so that that just struck me as being so I love those kind of sayings. And so I always think about and I tell people, you know, if you think you're in your lowest moment, just wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I have some Mm -hmm. rapid fire question before we um, end this. Um, Any Mm -hmm books you would recommend for our listeners? And there was a book that I enjoyed reading, and I think it's called The Iron War. And for me, you know, as somebody who, you know, I am not the caliber athlete that would ever qualify to race Kona in an age group. I just don't have those physical capabilities. I think even if I trained like a mad woman, but to read a book that probably was unauthorized, which sometimes makes the best book, sometimes not, because you're not certain if it's the truth. But I think it's called The Iron War. And it's between like, um, oh my gosh, two of these amazing athletes that were, you know, they were just neck and neck and probably equal, but the way in which they both went about, you know, 
trying to win at Kona and the year they ran neck and neck. But that book, I really enjoyed that book because it was written like from the grit and the mental, you know, just like the way in which people are different. What are two or three things that people can do, especially women, to build mental toughness? Mm. Um, I think a lot of women sometimes, I think, like to be in groups and they are more comfortable. They have a comfort level when they're in a group. But I mean, if you want to really build mental toughness, I think not that you have to put yourself in a dangerous position, mm -hmm. but sometimes we need to be able to talk ourselves through hard spots by ourselves. So it's okay to like two women go, hey, how would you handle this situation? But go out and even if you're just in that same area, but bike alone, you know, while your friend is nearby. So, I mean, you know, don't be unsafe. But I think you have to be able to to rely on yourself because in a moment when you really have nobody else, you can't just break down, quit and burst into tears and expect someone to drive by and pick you up in a car. You have to be able to handle, you know, the stress and then be able to, ha you know, because I mean, I've even had that own conversation with myself, mm -hmm. you know, where you're like, I really, well, I mean, I think I even said when I was a great Floridian, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do one more loop. But at the end of the loop, I'm probably going to give up. It'll probably be easy. I'll just come in. I'll have given it all I can, knowing that as soon as I broke the race down into smaller increments, I'd get back there and go, okay, I can't quit. So, I mean, I definitely would. I'd read a, I'd read a lot. I mean, if you're somebody that's into self-help books, mm -hmm. I think that the reason that, that it's good is because you, you read about ways that wouldn't have dawned on you to handle something. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's what women have to do. They have to talk amongst themselves, but they have to be able to rely on themselves. But, you know, we're not always intuitive ourselves. And sometimes like I need to bounce it off my sister because she'll come at it from a different way. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm so stuck in my own frame of reference. I never would have mm -hmm. thought of that. But by reading a self-help book, you will have phrases, you'll have ideas that resonate with you that you now can carry with you and that you'll always be able to say that phrase to yourself, like perpetual forward motion. You know, there'll be a phrase you can write down, you know, like, you know, HFTU. I mean, I don't like the F word, but I put HFTU because for a while, sometimes you just have to say harden the blank up, you know, wow. I mean, you could, you know, you can do this, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, Nike's just do it. I love brilliant. That. Yeah. Yeah. Just I do, do it, I right? Why. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. My high school teacher used to say the reason Nike is so successful is not because they're like, oh, just try, just just yeah. make it happen. <laughs> it's like, just do it. Yeah, just stop whining about it. Stop, stop being anxious. Just stick your toe in the water, jump in and go as far as you can go and then go farther. And most of the time, the things that we are scared of is not as scary when, when we're in the situation. Like this summer, I walked on fire which is kind of crazy, but uh, yes, <laughs> it was scary. But then when you do it, it's not or like, okay. I did Everest base camp last year and I never trekked in my life. And when you're there, it's not as difficult. As Bad as, yeah. yeah. I'm 24. My goal is to be like you when I'm your age, if your oh. optimism, your grit and your persistence and, your love for life. I just aspire to have that. And I know my listeners aspire to have that as well. Well, thank you. Um, I want to ask you last question. What is your definition of courage? Ooh, to me, courage is literally doing something that's right that you might not want to do. 
to me, that is courageous. Where like if someone is in a burn, I mean, I always think of like a fireman, a burning building. To me, it's courageous where you know the right thing to do is to go in and save a person because that's the ultimate goal. But you may be frightened and not able to do it, but you have to do it anyway. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. And if this podcast has added value in your life in any way, shape or form, then please, please, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a comment so I can have more incredible people like Susan. And I'll talk to you guys next week.